As part of my study of the Russian language in college in the early 1990s, I spent some time living both in Moscow and St. Petersburg with families. And in Petersburg, I stayed with an older woman in a two-bedroom apartment that she'd lived in for many, many years. And there were many things I had to get used to about spending this summer with her. The state radio piped into the home at all hours. The heat that shut off at Easter, no matter the temperature. You thought it was bad in Wallace Hall on Christmas Eve. Mm, Don't know anything about that. (laughs) And then there was the iron that was absolutely solid iron that was used for ironing clothes and would would have belonged in a museum here in the U.S. The most charming, though, of all the customs and things I had to get used to is this old Russian custom that I participated in before I traveled, anytime I would leave for a long weekend or go, go visiting friends. My Russian was pretty good at the time, but I still quite, couldn't quite understand what Natalia was trying to tell me to do. Sit on my luggage? I could have sworn I misunderstood. Sit, luggage, trying to put all that together. But she took my arm and she pulled me to my small duffel, because I was just going for overnights usually or weekends, and she sat me down. And it wasn't like sitting on a hard-sided bag that was like a big chair. Oh, no, no, this was more like sitting on a futon, and I had a long way to go to the ground. And in pre-Soviet days, the sitting on the baggage was a time to say a small prayer for traveling mercies. Then it became a chance to leave behind all the troubles of home and to look forward towards the journey It became a chance to remember that one forgotten thing before you actually left your apartment. And for some, it was a matter of something entirely more superstitious. But eventually, I began to get used to it. And I enjoyed the intentionality of a pause before traveling, even if I could never quite get used to Natalia's insistence that I sit on my luggage. So you may not realize this, but today's reading from the book of Numbers comes when the Israelites are about to embark on their own journey. Moses and the Israelites are preparing to leave Mount Sinai, where they've been for quite some time. While there, they've received the Ten Commandments and also engaged in worship of Baal with the creation of the golden calf. So it's not actually kind of a win situation all around. But now it's time to move on to the promised land. Aaron and his sons have been consecrated as high priests, and they're the official representatives of God, while Moses has assumed the role as the personal representative of God. And in this role, Moses receives the blessing from God for Aaron to use to bless the people of Israel before their journey. We sometimes call this blessing the Aaronic blessing for Aaron, And I use a part of it at the communion rail as a blessing for those not taking the bread and the wine. But one of the things that I'd never focused on before is this last line in our reading. So they shall put my name on the Israelites and I will bless them. The blessing given to Aaron is one way in which God's personal name, which we say as Yahweh, is imprinted upon the Israelites. The blessing sets the tone for their faithful journey to the promised land, which involves struggles and frustrations and joys and ensures God's presence with them. The blessing is their moment of pause before setting out on their journey. And what we know then is that God is with them in the cloud that leads them by day 
and the fire that leads them by night, and also with them on their journey because God's name is now imprinted upon them. Over time, though, after the Israelites went into exile, they no longer used the personal name of God, that's Yahweh. Instead, they referred to Yahweh as Elohim, meaning God, or Adonai, meaning Lord. So the personal name of God became off-limits to keep it sacred, to keep it reserved only for those who were involved in sacred acts. But with this reservation of the name Yahweh came the loss of intimacy, a loss of the sense of God as even having a personal name. When we think of God's name, Yahweh, we should remember that the name is a signifier of God. It's the word that we use for something so much bigger than the word God itself. And this is true with the name Jesus. Jesus is five letters, yet the significance of the name is clearly so much more. The name Jesus signifies God incarnate. It points to the divinity of God. Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, was likely quoting a first century hymn when he wrote these well-known words. God gave him the name that is above all every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is the name above all names. And with our use of the name Jesus, we can enter back into intimacy with God. We can use God's personal name again. And on this Holy Name Sunday, we should remember that names in Hebrew speak to the essence of the person. The name Jesus is akin to the names Joshua, Hosea, and Isaiah. And they all share the Hebrew word for salvation, Yeshua. You can, hear, you can hear that, right, Yeshua, and then the Hebrew Jesus is Yeshua. So you hear the resemblance. And it's true for Hosea, which is the imperative, God saves. That's the prophet Hosea. Prophet Isaiah's name has extra emphasis. God is salvation. Yes, God is. And then jo- Joshua and Jesus both mean God is salvation. So the essence of Jesus is God's salvation. Our salvation is the meaning and purpose of Jesus' life. And this is why the angels gave Jesus this name and not another nice Hebrew name that speaks of God's power or presence. Jesus is given the name that speaks of God's salvation which comes to us out of God's love for us, God's people. And yet as much as the name Jesus points us to God, the name also points us to a human life. Because the fullness of God's love that leads to our salvation is bound up in a single life, one person, a single human life. And today's gospel reminds us of Jesus' humanity. He receives a name, and he is circumcised as a sign of God's covenant with God's people as given to Abraham in Genesis chapter 17. On one level, Jesus doesn't need circumcision to be in covenant with God because, well, Jesus is God, so it's redundant to be in covenant with God. 
But it is Jesus' humanity, his human nature that is stressed in this gospel. And so he needs to be treated like every other baby boy, circumcised into the faith and given his name by his human father. And it is in this moment, in this naming moment, that Jesus' journey on earth begins. And in this journey, we know that Jesus' name does not remain his own. He tells his disciples they can cast out demons in his name. They will suffer in his name. They are to pray in his name so that God may respond and their joy may be complete. It's not about magic. It's about intimacy, intimacy with God. It's an invitation to those of us who follow Jesus to live by Jesus' name. Through our own adoption into Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, we take on his name as our own. And through the blessings we receive at worship, we take on his name as our own. It is on our lips, and our hearts, and in our minds, and it guides our actions. And Jesus' name, through all that we do in worship, through your personal prayer, through your own relationship with Jesus, Jesus' name becomes imprinted upon us, his followers. And dear Nashville, I don't mean your Jesus tattoo. I mean Jesus' name is imprinted upon our souls, that part of us that is unique, that is able to follow and love God and other beings, the part that God loves above all. And it's another form of intimacy that God offers us as followers of Jesus, to say the name, to be blessed in the name, to live by the name, and to have the name Jesus imprinted upon us. But of course, that's not the only name we carry with us. We carry our own names for our own journeys of life. Our parents gave us a name like Jesus' father gave him a name. And it's this name that's used in our Christian rituals, at baptism, at confirmation, at weddings, and at, and at funerals. And while your name probably doesn't mean God saves, and it might even have a meaning that you wished it didn't, we still use your name in our rites and sacraments because it invokes intimacy between you and God. It's the other part of the equation of that intimacy that you and God share. And throughout scripture, we are told that God knows our name. God knows your name. And today we are reminded that we know God's name, Jesus. As you start this new year, think about this invitation to intimacy through your name and Jesus' name. Think about what it means for your journey through life with Jesus imprinted upon you And think what it means about the fullness of God's love to be embodied in a single human life. Make today, January 1st, your sitting on your luggage in a Russian apartment moment. Make it your moment where you sit and reflect before you embark upon the next journey that is 2023. Let us pause for a moment. Let us leave behind the troubles of the last year Remember anything you've forgotten on your journey. And most of all, say yes to the invitation of today's readings for a more intimate, more loving, more knowing relationship with God, whose name is Jesus. Amen.